Our scripture reading this morning can be found on your pew Bible on page 981. It is the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 15 through 18. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. <clears throat> Do you not know that if you yield yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word. Hello again. I'm going to start off by telling you, A, this is a really challenging sermon for me. It took quite a while to get into it and get the message that I was supposed to present. It's also one that I have yet to get through without tearing up and getting a bit choked up. So I beg your indulgence ahead of time, because more than likely it's going to happen again. And this morning we're talking about values. We all have them. The Oxford Dictionary defines values as principles or standards of behavior or one's judgment of what's important in life. We all have political values, moral values, cultural values, even religious values. And with all these values, we decide what is desirable versus what's not. What we want in life versus what we don't, and, a whole, and form a whole host of other opinions on just about every topic that comes our way. And especially if you're like me and as opinionated as I am. Now the title of the series that Rick has so graciously allowed me to close out with this sermon has been, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. The subtext of it, or underlying theme, has been stewardship. He's talked to us about the stewardship of our money, our time, and even our relationships, all the while encouraging us to remember that it isn't ours. We don't get to keep it. We're holding it for someone else. As I mentioned a minute ago, in preparing the sermon, it's been very difficult by comparison. I kept hearing the old hymn, Trust and Obey, running through my mind. No matter what I did when I sat down to research or jot down notes or write, immediately it popped in my head. Finally, I asked the Lord, I said, what is it about this that you want me to speak on? How does it relate to stewardship of our values? What is it about the message of the series? How does it relate? And also, as I mentioned before, I had to work through it to get to the point. And that's what we're all going to have to do this morning. So I hope you'll bear with me. Are you ready? Okay. So let's start with the background of the amazing hymn. 
I'm sure the moment I mentioned the song, Trust and Obey, many of you were taken back to times when you were singing it in a church service, maybe a Sunday school, maybe in choir. The fact is that almost everyone in the sanctuary this morning has probably sung that hymn many, many times over, and the refrain is embedded in your memory. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, the history of this hymn is kind of interesting, as is often the case with old hymns. Back in the late 1800s, there was a music director by the name of Daniel B. Tower. I looked him up. He wasn't a very handsome man, but he happened to be at an evangelistic meeting held by Dwight L. Moody. When a young man stood up at the end to share his personal testimony, the young man was obviously unchurched. And despite being obviously lacking in knowledge about the Bible or Christian doctrine in general, his closing statements so struck Tower that he wrote them down and later later he shared them with his friend, John Stamus. The young man's words? He said, you know, I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. They almost certainly did not know the profound results of his statements to the generations that followed that were touched by this hymn. However, the story of this hymn and the contents of it actually have a lot to teach us about Christian values and our stewardship of those values. We already looked at the definition of values, so we have kind of a common understanding about what we mean on this, but it's also likely that we're all, we all intuitively kind of have an understanding of what we mean by stewardship as well. But just in case, let's go ahead and get that out there. Webster's Online Dictionary defines stewardship as the conducting or supervising or managing of something entrusted to one's care. So when we're talking about the stewardship of our values, then we're talking about managing the standards of behavior we hold to. And similarly, managing how we judge what's important in life. Not only that, but it's the recognition that our ability to make those decisions about our standards and our judgments is something that's entrusted to us. It's not something that we own innately by right. I find that kind of an interesting, an interesting way of looking at things, don't you? I mean, we know that we hold things like conservative values or liberal values, but isn't that usually because we just think those are the right ones, the right views to have, the, the right perspective on things? How often have you or I sat down to think about managing those views or values? And what would that look like anyway? God has entrusted us each with the ability to decide. Free will. Free will to choose our morals, our behavior, whether we're going to follow him 
or our own selfish path. Now, continuing with what Rick has been doing using the same resources in this series, I also referenced Craig Rochelle's book, Weird Because Normal Isn't Working. Still love that title. And John Ortberg's book, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. Craig Rochelle notes that a sort of drift happens when we're not watching over our lives, when we're not managing them. Kind of sort of sounds like stewardship, right? Or the lack thereof. He says, probably no one thinks, you know what? I'm tired of pursuing God. Sure, he's blessed me and all, and it's really been worthwhile, but I think it's time just to drift downstream for a while and see where it takes me. If you're a Christian, you know that getting sidetracked from God is easy. Most do. It's perfectly normal. Then again, about this time for me, that hymn starts coming back to mind. It's stuck in my head now. Does anybody else remember the first verse? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Right in the middle of our reading from Proverbs, we're told, trust in the Lord with all our heart. Then for the rest of the passage, we're given several examples of what this looks like and also the reward that comes with it. Still, it's extremely hard to do. It's a challenge. Actually, the word trust is mentioned approximately 150 times in the Bible. And not surprisingly, over a third of those are in the book of Psalms alone. A book dedicated to how we praise, worship, and confess our sins to our God. Add in Proverbs that you're at nearly half. Psalm 91.2 says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And again, the hymn rings. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Story goes that there was an older gentleman walking on the beach one day. He noticed a young boy frantically throwing starfish in the ocean seeing hundreds, if not thousands, of stranded starfish on the shore, the man kind of laughed softly to himself as he approached the eager young boy. Hey there, youngster, he said, compassion in his voice. You know, you really shouldn't waste your time. There's too many of them. You'll never make a difference. Looking up, a gleam in his eye, the boy held a single starfish in his palm suddenly reached back, just hurled it full force into the ocean, smiled, said, I made a difference to that one, continued on his mission. 
question is, how often are we more like that kindly old gentleman? Thoughtful heart, compassionate. Than we are that enthusiastic young boy. It's easy to look with understanding of age at the daunting task before us as Christians. There are so many who are lost. We can't possibly make a difference. We can't make a dent. Better to play it safe and guard ourselves from feeling inadequate for the task than to risk it all, saving as many as we can while we're here. Then again, which of our values does that properly manage for God? Next verse. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Now would be a good time to get out the tissues. John Ortberg relayed the touching story of Johnny the Bagger. And if you ever come across his book, this is a section worth reading. Short version of it is this. Johnny works at a grocery store as a bagger. At a training seminar put on for the store, which was focused on how individual people can make a difference, the speaker offered at the end that members of the audience could give her a call if they ever wanted to talk further about the topic or had questions. Johnny took her up on the offer. Turns out Johnny is a 19-year-old bagger with Down syndrome, and he took her message to heart. After thinking about it, he decided that he could put a positive thought for the day in each of his customers' bags. So every night, he would choose a thought, Printed out six per page, 50 pages, and then carefully cut out each one, 300 in total, every night before every shift. Then he would give them away in the bags, and as he did, he looked each customer in the eye, and he told them, I've put a special saying in your bag. I hope it helps you to have a good day. Thank you for coming here. About a month later, the speaker got another phone call. This time it was from the manager of the store. You won't believe what's happened here, he said. I was making my rounds, and when I got over to the line at Johnny's checkout, it was three times longer than anyone else's. It went all the way down the frozen food aisle. After the manager got on the loudspeaker to announce that they had several lanes open with no waiting, a customer responded, no thanks, we'll wait. I want to get in Johnny's aisle. One woman approached the manager, 
grasping his hand, she said, I used to shop at your store once a week. Now, I come by every time I go by. I want to get Johnny's thought for the day. You see, Johnny's doing more than filling bags with groceries. He's filling lives with hope. Words alone can come from a fortune cookie, a billboard, TV, radio advertisement. But see, when they get them from Johnny, they're reminded of the beauty of one person forgetting his own limitations and seeking to make his blessing, his life, a blessing to others. Says Ortberg, whatever burdens Johnny carries makes his gift that much brighter. For me, I say, what an example of a heart burdened for others, a burden that has been blessed. And the hymn goes on. But we never can prove the delights of his love until it all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows, for the joy he he bestows, are for them who will trust and obey. You know, not too long ago, we celebrated Veterans Day. A reminder of the sacrifice that men and women across this country make every day to secure our freedom and safety. As the song goes, all gave some, and some gave all. And likewise, there are missionaries and others that put everything they have, all of it, on the table for God to use how he will, sacrificially putting everyone else ahead of their own comfort, their personal desires, even their own lives. And unfortunately, in the Christian community today, that grows rarer and rarer. We become all too accustomed to comfort. We'll extol those who sacrifice, who risk it all, but put ourselves at risk. That's just bad stewardship, right? To step out in faith, to grow or challenge ourselves, to keep throwing those starfish in the ocean, regardless of how many are left. It's almost a futile cause now, isn't it? So at this point, I'm reminded of the phrase, no risk, no reward. Somehow that has sort of a painful ring to it just now. If we don't give it all to the God who truly owns it, then what's the point? Where's the risk? How can we expect to be rewarded for hiding our talents in the proverbial ground for fear of losing our master's treasure? When are we going to wake up and lay it all on his altar and have the faith that he will bless and take delights in our efforts? When will we recognize that it's all his entrusted to us while we're here? And then it all goes back in the box. We may only have a few talents to work with, but we need to put those talents to work. Remember that in James 4.3 it says, You have not because you ask not. 
I'm here to tell you this morning that God's telling us we ask not because we have not. We have not been willing to give it all to him. We have not been willing to join him all in with the work he's doing. We are content to be fed, ignoring the call on our hearts and lives to be the vibrant source of Christian love and example that he is calling us to be. And if these words are causing you discomfort this morning, I encourage you to explore why you feel uncomfortable. Is it because I'm wrong? Is this church the shining light in Mineola for Christ that it could and should be? Or is the Holy Spirit pricking at your heart a little bit that we need to be doing more as his body? Believe me, I'm not pointing fingers. Well, maybe I am, actually, but they're pointed at me. As Candy can tell you, I'm not at all comfortable with the burden our family is dealing with. Between the normal day-to-day and military obligations, seminary for me, and a bachelor's degree in counseling for her, I am all too often complaining or worried that we're sacrificing too much. Too much money, too much comfort, too much time. When in reality, it's not even enough. I haven't laid it all out there and said, God, it's all yours. And I'll happily, gratefully, and faithfully use it however you call me to, no matter the sacrifice, no matter the blessing. I daily need to recognize and repent to reorient my thoughts to the task he has burdened me with for his glory. Truth is, this church needs to do the same. Final verse. Then in fellowship sweet, we'll sit at his feet. We'll walk by the side in a way. What he says we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear. Only trust and obey. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our reading from Romans reminds us that now that we're saved, we're slaves of righteousness. We've been bought with a price. God himself has purchased us with the blood of our Lord and Savior, his only son, who laid down his own life on our behalf, willingly, sacrificially, Lovingly. Craig Rochelle relates a story of a woman fallen on hard times who was coming by the church that he pastored one Sunday. And standing out in front of the sanctuary with one of the other church members, they watched as a woman in tight blue jeans and even tighter sleeveless T-shirt, Cigarette in hand, got out of a car that looked to be held together by the dirt that covered the dented and worn body. Unfortunately, the reaction of his fellow congregant was less understanding than judgmental. And the woman never even entered the church before turning around, returning to her car and leaving. They never saw her again. Upset by this, Groeschel talks about how he seemed to feel God's pain for that woman. 
seeking some measure of relief and comfort, he talked with his secretary and asked her to pray for him. And she did. She prayed that God would use that experience to help his heart break forever for those who don't know Christ. Strange gift, he states. Something that was well-intentioned and infinitely more valuable than what he thought he was asking for. You want to walk by Jesus' side? Craig Groeschel points out that if you listen, God will show you something that makes your heart ache on his behalf. He will bless you with a burden. While we spend most of our lives avoiding pain, he says, he doesn't give us our lives to master techniques in avoiding the pain. He puts us here to make an eternal difference. He puts us here to show everyone around us how much he loves them. He puts us here to be his hands and feet, his body and his heart. When you give of yourself in a way that reflects God's goodness, blesses someone else, and makes the world better, you've taken yourself out of yourself. And you're reminded that your purpose is not about feeling good all the time. He's definitely not pulling any punches either, huh? Then again, I can't remember a passage in the Bible where Jesus told his disciples that it, was always, that it would always feel good, that following him would be easy and comfortable, or that it would be popular. I can't recall a passage that talks about Jesus putting his arm around Peter or John or Luke and saying, oh, you know, it's going to be all right. Just do your best to get the message across and I'll see you in heaven. Enjoy the ride. On the contrary, he cried. He cried for his disciples. He cried for us. He cried and said it would be tough and painful and full of rejection and heartache. But we're to care for his sheep. We're to be burdened for the lost that they too may be saved. He knew we couldn't walk his path perfectly. We still need a savior to forgive us, to bless us, to aid us and heal us and send us back out to continue the work that we have to do until the day our work is done and all our stuff goes back in the box. And maybe that's the key. Maybe it is to remember that it all goes back in the box. Throughout John Ortberg's book, he mentions the games of Monopoly that he played with his grandmother and how she would tell him each time she won, each time she won, that he would eventually learn how to play it well. He wrote that once he had finally won the game against his grandmother, that's when she taught him that it all goes back in the box. Winning was fun, but fleeting. But just as importantly, she taught him that the game had been there long before he played it, and that there would be people who played it long after he stopped. 
It's the memory of playing the game that might live on in the lives of those he played with and those whose lives he touched. The lessons learned, the laughter shared, and even the mistakes. There's so many metaphors one can draw from looking at life, from the game of Monopoly John played with his grandmother so often. I've pulled a few out that, that are important to me, like the dice. Those are our chances to action. Our turns we get to go from place to place on the board, or in other words, from situation to situation in life. Each one bringing us a new, bringing us a new opportunity to be Christ to the people we encounter. Sort of like Johnny the Bagger. And we only get so many before our game is over. No more rolls left before they go back in the box. The deed cards, the houses and hotels. Yep, those are our accumulated stuff. They may bring us more worldly rewards or enjoyment, but in the end, they're only temporary. Bought and sold, mortgaged and moved, and finally, put back in the box. They don't go with us. Chance and community chest cards. They're like our opportunities to show the difference that Christ makes in our lives. Whether through suffering or through rejoicing, each card brings us a blessing or a trial. God loves to bless us and enjoy our triumphs with us. All the while, his grace is perfected in our weakness, his steadfastness through our trials and his profound love amid our pain. Then the cards, too, go back in the box. And finally, the tokens. Those cool little figurines. Those are us. We go back in the box. But not forever. Not if we accept the salvation Christ has to offer us. The grace and forgiveness he gives to each one of us. He has already paid the price for us. To play the game well, though, our values must reflect the values of a good steward. A good and faithful servant, one that has trusted his or her master and obeyed his will and brought everyone else they could along for the ride. You know, Orberg mentions that there's a man who goes by the pseudonym of Mr. Monopoly. He's sort of the self-proclaimed expert of Monopoly and has written several books on the strategy of the game as well as other areas of life. You know his number one rule for winning the game? Be someone who, wants to, who everyone wants to play with. You can't win if you don't play. And if you're playing alone, you still lose. If no one wants to play with you, then you're just sitting on the sidelines while others play. So how you play the game is even more important than ending the game with the most money. And isn't that what Jesus is telling us about our values? 
if we trust in him and step out in faith, if we obey him and walk the path he has laid out for us, valuing what he values, being burdened for his sheep, are we not in the end the ones who win when it all goes back in the box? Let us pray. Gracious Lord, it's been a morning of ups and downs and challenges and foibles. But Lord, I just pray that your words came out this morning, that every heart here was touched in some way, gain truth from you in some way that what they needed to hear this morning was heard. And as we get ready to go our separate ways, go home and back to our daily lives, as we prepare for Thanksgiving and the fellowship of family and friends and the bounty and blessings Please help us to recognize our opportunities to roll the dice, our opportunities to be Christ to those around us, like Johnny the Bagger. Please help us to recognize that we have to risk it to gain the rewards. We have to be willing to lay it all on the altar for you, Lord, that it's all yours anyway. all the food, all the comfort, all the friends, everything, it's all yours. We're just entrusted with it while we're playing our game on the board. And we pray that when it all does go back in the box for us, when we cross those pearly gates, when we stand before you humbly, in need of forgiveness and grace, that we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That we played the game well. That we followed the burden that you put on our hearts. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.